Amen. Before we continue on, I just want to uh, say one quick word. Um, many of you may know uh, Katie Dunn. Uh, Katie has been coming to our church for a good while now, and uh, I know I've, this is my second embarrassment card I'm playing in the service, but Katie is right back over there. Katie is also our volunteer coordinator. So if you've ever volunteered on a Sunday morning here, you've been in touch with Katie in one way or another. And Katie and her fiance, Jared, are getting married this coming Saturday. So the next time you see her on a Sunday, uh, she will be married. And uh, that's just worthy of acknowledging. So after the service, if you would give her a hug, uh, that would be awesome. So... Celebrations, it's a part of what we do. Uh, we must not neglect to celebrate the beautiful, God-given things of life. So today we begin a new sermon series, and we're going to begin a journey. A journey that is going back to the beginnings of really uh, the first true and right worshiping community uh, in the world. And it is a community of people who learn throughout this particular book uh, to worship God, to love God, to love one another, and all of it is a part of what it means to worship and to be a worshiping people. Uh, today we gather as God's people. That's what constitutes us as a group of people. We don't just gather as a group of Lubbockites or something like that. We are God's people, and that's why we are here. Well, the people of God have been gathering for a long time, over 3,000 years. And so we're going to dig back into the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And the book of Exodus has worship written all over it. In fact, the second half of the book is pretty much dedicated to how to put some things in place so that God's people can be a worshiping people. And the first half of the book is about God rescuing his children Israel and bringing them to this place of worship. Worship is who we are as a church. It's who you are, okay? So just in case you're not fully convinced, we're going to try to, to force ourselves to own this, okay? I'm going to say, my name is Bailey and I am a worshiper. And you're going to say this with me, if you will, okay? So I say, my name is, and then you fill in your name, and I am a worshiper, okay? We're going to do this three times. We ready? One, two, three. My name is Bailey, and I am a worshiper. Pretty good. One more time. My name is Bailey, and I am a worshiper. One more time. My name is Bailey, and I am a worshiper. It's who you are. It's the very, it's the deepest part about you. It's at the very core of your existence. Whether you realize it or not, it's what you were made to do. It is who you were made to be. And therefore, that's worth giving some attention and some focus to. There really is no substitute for this gathering that we do every Sunday morning. There's a rhythm to it. It happens every seven days. And it involves all kinds of things. It involves remembering, remembering what God has done, remembering who God is and how that's been expressed in our lives individually. It also involves not just looking back, but looking forward, a hope of sorts. We are wanting something to happen. We're waiting on something to happen. Worship happens right in the middle of those two places. It's about acknowledging God's presence in our lives, in our days, in our hours. Why? Because if you're like me, you just kind of go through life 
kind of thinking that we're all on our own sometimes and we're just doing our thing and, you know, going to work, going to school, being with family and friends and going to bed and everything else. And, and then we wake up and, and I need a reminder that God has been present in my life. I need a moment set aside for me to look back and say, oh, yeah, God has been there and I need to wake up to that reality. Worship and this gathering that we have in corporate worship involves a sense of community, a sense of doing this together, not just private worship, but corporate worship. It involves people of all ages and nations and races. That's, that's who the church is opened up to. People of all kinds can come and be a part of the worshiping community. It's intergenerational. It usually involves some form of song because that's the way that we express ourselves often to God. That's why we spend a lot of energy on the ministry of music is because song and worship are so closely linked together. And it, of course, is why we have the word of God that is read and preached because we need to hear a word from God. We need him to speak into our lives. We need him to sometimes whip us into shape a little bit. We need him to inspire us and encourage us and even convict us. It's all a part of the bag of worship. And then, of course, worship has something that we are going to look at today. One of the initial ingredients if, if worship was a recipe and you were to start at the top of the list getting stuff out for this recipe, that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we get there in the book of Exodus, a little backstory. In Genesis chapter 12, God chooses a man by the name of Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want to bless you. I'm going to make a covenant relationship with you and I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the entire world. Through you, through your family, the entire world will be blessed. And you are going to be my special priestly people. I'm adopting you as my own. And so Abraham has children who have children who have children. One of those great-grandchildren is Joseph who goes down to the land of Egypt. He is very successful. He is revered. He saves Egypt from famine. And so then he brings his brothers down. And so the people of Israel begin to thrive in the land of Egypt. And they're well-respected. They're in good standing. Everything is going well because this is that group of people that, that helped save Egypt. Until after years and years and years, there arose a Pharaoh or a king who did not remember Joseph. But this Pharaoh looked around and he saw that there were Israelites who had been fruitful and multiplied. They were all over the place. And he thought, you know what? If these guys banded together, they would probably overthrow us. We better do something about this. I better get control of the situation. So they set taskmasters over them and they built these slave encampments and these areas where they were enslaving them and building cities and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden we have oppression and slavery, and forced labor, hard labor. These people who are once living freely in the land of Egypt are now an oppressed people. That's where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 2. It says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned. They groaned because of their slavery 
and they cried out for help. I contend this right here is the number one beginning ingredient for us to be a worshiping people is to have the capacity to groan, to have the capacity to cry out to God. That's usually the starting point. We usually don't cry out to God until we know we need God. We usually think we're kind of God of our world until we realize our life is so crazy and out of our control that we have to cry out to somebody greater than us. Anybody hearing me? You ever had this happen in your life? Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Groaning is something, we don't just groan on the surface, you know? That, that's, that's called whining. That's different. That's a, that's a whole different category. Later on in the book of Exodus, uh, they will grumble and they will whine. That's different than groaning. Groaning comes from a deep, 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 deep place down. And often we don't get to that place of groaning until our life gets hard. Till it stinks. Have you ever groaned before? Have you ever just groaned from the very depths of your being? Most people have moments in their lives, and some people have lots of moments in their lives where groaning happens. There's something in the human soul when, when we are in pain and brokenness, and the world around us isn't good for us or healthy for us. Something in us is crying out. We're groaning. Israel cries out to God in the form of their oppression and being overworked. We, we cry out sometimes in other ways, don't we? Sometimes we cry out because addiction is kicking our rear end. Sometimes we cry out because we can't get through a day without being anxious, whether we know why we're anxious or not. Sometimes we cry out because we've made way too many commitments in life and we become overwhelmed or those commitments have put themselves on us. Sometimes we cry out because of our insecurity, our fear of rejection. Sometimes we cry out because the problems and the relationships in our lives have become so difficult to manage that we know we can't do it anymore on our own and so we call out to anybody or anything that can help. We feel the brokenness of the world. You know, just because we groan doesn't mean we groan to God, though, do we? Just because we cry out doesn't mean we cry out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because there's a lot of other options out there, aren't there? We have things like ice cream and soft drinks and chicken fried steak with gravy. Don't those feel good on a hard day? Who doesn't want that? Can I get an amen? Come on now. Comfort food. These are the kinds of things that while we uh, celebrate the, the tastiness of them, these are the kinds of things that numb us. They just help us to cope with the pain. They don't heal us. They just numb us. They make us feel better for about an hour or two at best. We numb ourselves with everything from retail therapy to pills to alcohol to expensive toys to numb our own pain 
and maybe to numb the pain of looking at the hurting world around us. Walter Brueggemann says that numbness robs us of our capability for humanity. If we're numb, we lose touch with what it means to be a human being. But Israel could no longer numb themselves. They got to a point where their pain was so great that they cried out to God. They remembered the promises of God and they cried out to the same God. The beginning of worship often happens not when life is good, but when life is bad. Ingredient number one. Conditions necessary for groaning. You have to feel the pain and you have to lament your condition. Now, later on in life, you may not need this much groaning as an ingredient. Because as we grow and mature in our faith, worship should become something that we just come to God before we feel pain. That's, that's kind of the goal. That's where worship matures. But the beginning point for somebody to learn to worship usually starts at the point of our own brokenness. This is why broken people in the Gospels are always drawn to Jesus. People whose lives are going good, well, they may listen into teaching here or there. They may go to Sunday school class that Jesus is teaching, but the broken ones, they follow him around like crazy. Jesus goes to the other side of the lake. They run around to the other side of the lake. They throw themselves at his feet. They call upon his name. They yell from the side of the road, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. That's what broken people do. The physically sick, the socially rejected, those for whom life was hard. It's not that Jesus loves them more than the, the comfortable, numb people. It's just that they're ready. They're broken, and they know it. There's no illusion to it. It's what we're made to do, my friends. I am a worshiper. I was made to groan. That's a little bit different than the narrative we hear in our culture. The, the air that we breathe and the water that we drink in our culture kind of just says, I'm made to be happy. That some, somehow happiness is the goal of life. Well, if I'm just made to be happy, I'll just take anything that makes me feel good while ignoring all the stuff that might just be destroying me or my world around me. I was made to groan. I was made to lament a little bit. Today is what we call Pentecost Sunday. We sang that song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. It's a remembering of the Spirit of God. So, so Jesus was raised from the dead on Resurrection Sunday. And then He appeared to many of His followers for about 40 days. And then He ascended into heaven. And then 10 days after that, about 50 days after the resurrection, He pours out His Holy Spirit on the people. So every year, seven weeks after Easter, we remember Pentecost. God pours His Spirit out on us. And we say, come Holy Spirit and fill me up, fill us up. Show me your ways, O God. 
What is the Spirit meant to do in our lives? Romans chapter 8, verses 22. Paul says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. The creation has been doing what? Groaning. Hmm. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly while we wait for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Up to this point, we've talked about the Israelites groaning about their current condition. But here we have something else in Romans 8. We have this waiting for redemption. This waiting for something good to happen. This is the stuff of hope. Hope is is that God is creating a world. His own kingdom. He's already begun that world. We even prayed it in our Lord's Prayer. Did you catch it? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is this world that God is creating in which everything is right and holy and perfectly balanced and in harmony. It's His promise to us. And what the Spirit does in us, when the Spirit groans in us, the Spirit lines us up between the promises of God in the past and the fulfillment of those promises in the future. And hope allows us to go forward into the future. It's kind of like a, a baseball team, uh, like a relay man on a baseball team. If, if a ball is hit like way out into the outfield, let's say a ball's hit out the left field. Well, the shortstop is supposed to go be the relay person. So the shortstop will run out and he will try to get right in between where the ball is and where the destination is. So if the ball's needs to come, ball needs to come to second base, the shortstop will line himself up between where the ball is and second base. And the person on second base is directing the shortstop where to go. So if the shortstop isn't lined up, the person on second is saying left, 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 left. So that the throw will be perfectly straight and you can get the throw in as fast as you can. The Holy Spirit is the voice that says left, 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 left and lines us up. That is what worship is. We are lined up between the promise of God and the fulfillment of God, the fulfillment of those promises. And since there has not been fulfillment yet, there's groaning. It's a normal part of where you are at in human history right now. Until Jesus comes back and makes everything right, we are called to be a people of groan. We are called to be a people filled with the Spirit of God who long for something more than what life is right now. Not only individually, but corporately and even globally. We are a groaning people. Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Did you know the Spirit of God is inside of you? Did you know the Spirit of God is groaning? Can you feel the groan? Do you know the groan? Can you hear it from the Spirit of God inside of you? 
Or are you just numbing yourselves on accomplishment and activities and chicken fried steak? Exodus chapter 2 says, Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. What does it take for your cry to make it up to God? Do you have to shout louder? Probably not. But you may have to call to Him from a deeper place. I love this story in Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells this parable about this widow who was unjustly treated and so she goes to this judge and she begins to pester this judge to give her justice. And the judge tries to dismiss her. The judge is even a good guy. He's trying to dismiss her, but she doesn't let go. She is relentless. And he's like, this woman's driving me nuts. I'm going to give her what she wants just so she'll get out of my hair. And Jesus says, that's what you and I are to do to our heavenly father in heaven. You are to pester God. Pester him until you get an answer. Do not let go. That's the stuff of depth. That's the stuff of faith. That's the stuff of worship. God is more serious about the condition of our lives than we are. But He is waiting on us to get serious enough to. He is waiting on us to get to that point of desperation. Exodus 2 ends by saying that God heard. He heard the cries. Says that God remembered. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Says that God saw. He saw them. He took notice of them. And it says that he knew or he understood. He sympathized with them. Do you want God to see you, to hear you, to notice you? Don't give up. Let the the depths of your groaning heart just come out before Him and do not let go until He answers you. That's when we find ourselves beginning to worship. May the Lord grant us access to our inner beings that we would have access to Him.